Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Rob Matheson. Europe is again at the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic. The World Health Organization is warning of half a million more deaths by February. Vaccines are readily available in the region, so what's gone wrong? And will people have to spend another winter in lockdown? Okay, let's bring in our guests in Lucerne in Switzerland. We have Annelise Wilders-Smith. She's Professor of Emerging Infectious Diseases at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. In Birmingham in the UK, Lawrence Young. He's an infectious diseases specialist at Warwick University. And for Zilan Gora in Poland, Maria Gonciok. She's head of the Department of Infectious Diseases at the University of Zelona Gora. A warm welcome to each of you. Annelise, I'm going to start with you. How different, if at all, is this scenario that we're seeing in Europe compared to the scenarios we saw in the early days of the pandemic? The situation is similar, but also quite different. Last year, we there was a rapid upsurge already starting in October. Uh, at a time when nobody was vaccinated. This, this time round, many have been vaccinated, not enough. But what we now see is, although we have a high number of infections, the number of deaths are lower than last year with the same number of infections. So the good news is we have vaccines and these vaccines do prevent deaths and severe disease. These vaccines do not prevent as successfully though mild infection. So you may still get mild infection, but the message is you are protected against severe disease and deaths. Lawrence, is this just about low vaccination rates linked to higher levels of infection or is there a, a wider question to this? Yeah, I think it's a perfect storm really. It's a combination of insufficient vaccine uptake and the easing of restrictions and I think less mask wearing, more mixing indoors as the weather uh, declines and gets colder and waning immunity actually to, to, to vaccinations, particularly those that were vaccinated you know, more than six months ago. So I think these are important factors, but I, I think it's the mix and the um, easing of restriction measures that are really contributing alongside um, low levels of vaccination in certain countries. Maria, Germany's got a high race of vaccinations. There was nearly about 80%, and yet its health minister is saying it's entering a fourth wave. Now, I know that Poland has a fairly high vaccination rate, and yet figures are rising there. What do you think is contributing to that? Well, I don't think that uh, the vaccination rate in Poland uh, is uh, high. It's about 53%. So we can do much better. Um, but uh, still, there are many um, uh, hesitant uh, individuals in the population. And um, I think this is uh, the, one of the main drivers of this upsurge of cases in Poland at the moment. But also um, school opening, uh, children are back uh, in schools and students are back at uh, the universities. Um, these places are not um, uh, having much regarding or doing much regarding implementing infection control measures. So people are um, very close to each other. And uh, this is uh, uh, another factor which, which drives this um, surge in cases. Mm. Maria, if the, the situation continues and the figures continue as we're seeing at the moment, what do you think is going to be the impact longer term in Poland? 
Well, um, it depends. We have uh, already developed um, some scenarios, but of course uh, everything depends on uh, which uh, assumptions you make uh, in the beginning. Uh, so in the in this worst case scenario, when, uh, when the government is practically doing nothing uh, to um, stop um, new cases, uh, so we will maybe end up with uh, like 30, uh, 35,000 cases reported every day. And um, according to these prognoses, we will face around 40,000 deaths in the, in the end of this uh, fourth wave. Lawrence, let me ask you something about that Annalise mentioned uh, earlier on. She's referred to the fact that the vaccines do seem to be having an impact because overall the number of hospitalizations and subsequent deaths seems to be falling. Um, is that something that is going to persuade people who are unwilling to up to this point uh, about having the vaccine? Do you think that kind of impact that we're seeing, that the vaccines are actually reducing the number of deaths, could persuade people who have up until this point been reticent about it to actually go and take the vaccine? I think it's a really important message, and perhaps we're not messaging this well enough across, across Europe. The vaccines are amazingly effective, more effective than we could have hoped for, actually, not only in preventing deaths, but also preventing hospitalizations. And I think it's partly not only thinking about yourself and your family, but also taking, if you like, the social responsibility that comes with vaccination. I think some of these messages have not been clear enough, but now we have so much real-world evidence about the benefits uh, of vaccination and the fact that there are very few associated side effects, that we need to be getting that story out to as many people as possible. And for people to realise that we're in a, currently in a very, very precarious situation that we can sort with vaccination. If we didn't have vaccination, goodness knows where we'd be. But this is these are very effective vaccines that we have available and people should just go and get jabbed. Mm. Annalise, one of the fundamental problems in this seems to be a lack of trust amongst a lot of people in terms of the government, in terms of the pharmaceutical companies, even strangely enough in terms of the WHO. People don't believe that the, the, some of the messaging that the WHO can be putting out uh, at times. Why do you think that lack of trust has come in and why, how, how is it that you get over that? Social media is really our biggest enemy in this, in this pandemic. You know, words matter and words can kill. And misinformation and intentional disinformation, conspiracy theories are harmful. They kill. We need, we, we, we need to be, become better uh, communicators in the benefit of, this vac of, of a vaccine, but also at, at communicating this pandemic. It's, you know, it's an invisible virus and young people think they are invincible. Um, and so, so, and this is now about a collective societal response to a very tragic pandemic. And we haven't had such a pandemic for decades. You know, our society is not trained. <laughs> we are emotionally not ready for such a tragedy where now our daily lives are so disruptive. So indeed, it's a major challenge and we need to get better in the media, in politics, in UN organizations and agencies that we have an empathetic um, message that comes across 
all age groups and also all educational backgrounds. Maria, is this the situation in Poland? Is social media and uh, apparent misinformation playing a big role in the way that COVID is being dealt with there? Well, I'm, I'm sure that uh, there's one uh, factor, uh, but uh, I, I would say that it's uh, the litany of um, drivers of this um, hesitancy, in, in, especially in post-communist countries. We don't have this uh, long-lasting tradition uh, of uh, adult um, vaccination. Um, what we do have uh, is uh, mandatory vaccination regarding children. And we're really um, doing well just uh, with the vaccination coverage of uh, 90 to 90, even 80% among children. Uh, however, when you just uh, think about flu vaccine, um, we are in Poland, we are um, uh, in the bottom of the list uh, of the countries, e the EU countries, uh, um, with uh, vaccination coverage um, about um, 20%. Uh, it depends on, on the population group. But uh, just to make the long story short, so, so uh, there is no tradition um, of vaccination among adult population. But it's also the, the lack of um, trust in the government and the lack of trust in experts. According to the latest research, polls, um, they too trust more uh, their relatives and friends than um, experts. So um, it, it, it's quite a challenge mm. here to uh, really um, give uh, information which, uh, which will be heard. Why is it that the government seems able to introduce a mandatory vaccination programme for children and yet it seems unwilling to do that for adults? Well, again, the, the, the problem is um, very complex. Um, 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 there, there, are, you know, there is no tradition of uh, vaccination among adults. So uh, there are uh, many um, anti-vaxxers and uh, according to the polls, uh, these anti-vaxxers are uh, supporters of um, the ruling party. So there are some conflicts or uh, I would say conflict of uh, interest. Uh, so uh, um, maybe the, the government just worries that um, some um, some uh, hard policies or mandatory uh, policies um, uh, regarding COVID vaccination will be badly, um, badly received, mm. and uh, it will influence um, uh, the, the 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 polls. Lawrence, this is clearly not. Sorry to interrupt. Lawrence, th this is clearly not just a situation that exists in Poland. It exists in other countries as well. Interestingly, Russia is one of them. Now, one would have thought that given the political circumstances in Russia, that introducing uh, a vaccination across the country would be relatively easy, but I understand its vaccination rates are low, and of course it produces its own vaccine. Why do you think that's happening there? Well, I think a lot of this does come down across the whole of, uh, of these different countries to trusting in the government, and I think there is an issue about trust. Uh, you know, we're experiencing that in the UK, really, and to some extent, where there is so much complacency now, actually, and that complacency spread through society in a sense that actually 
this pandemic is somebody else's problem. Uh, we don't trust the government anymore. We don't believe in the information they're putting out. And I think that's one of the big issues in, in, in Russia, as well as in other, in other countries. It's trusting the government and trusting, indeed, uh, the vaccination process itself. I think a, there is a lot of concern, misunderstanding, misinformation and mistrust in Russia. Anna Legus, we, we heard in, in Jonah's report just a moment ago that uh, Merck has introduced uh, a pill now for, uh, gives a, a vaccine, some form of vaccine. Um, I understand that Pfizer is introducing another one as well. I think that that might be correct. Um, do you think that, if, that that is going to make a difference in terms of persuading people that a vaccine is, uh, is able to be taken? Is a pill easier to understand, if you like, than an injection? Is it less frightening? Will it actually make a difference? So these, these antivirals or these, these pills, um, they are indeed important additional tools. They cannot replace the vaccines. Remember, vaccines are meant to prevent cases. So you want to bring down the cases. If you don't prevent, you will just have, you know, an explosive growth again of cases. And even if you now can uh, treat some of them with a success rate of only about 50%, you will still overwhelm hospitals. So yes, we embrace every drug treatment. We need to manage these severely ill patients, but, they, but really to, to help us get out of this tragic pandemic, we, the strongest tool that we have at hand is a high vaccine coverage rate in all populations, but particularly amongst the older persons. How easy is it going to be to persuade governments who have, of countries that have a low vaccine rate to step up their efforts if they've not been able to achieve that in two years and yet the vaccines are available if they're willing to spend the money? Lawrence, let me ask you that first. Well, I think they've, they've just got to look at what's going on in their own countries and pay some attention to the horrific consequences of not giving a vaccine. If you have something that can prevent your population from getting sick and from being hospitalized and dying, then surely that's something that needs to be messaged very, very well. The other problem we have, of course, um, that we do need to stress is that as long as the virus continues to circulate in an unchecked way, it will, it will change and the, the virus could, be, could, could, could mutate again. And this would cause untold problems as we are experiencing with the more transmissible Delta variant. So I think it comes back to the discussion we've just been having about governments taking the responsibility that they have to protect their population. And in this instance, they've got something that really does do the heavy lifting, that really can protect. And if you have a preventative measure like this, why would you not want to make sure that your population is protected and indeed your own hospitals and health infrastructures protected? Mm. Annalise, you said right at the start of this discussion that this wasn't just about the vaccinations. It was about um, the way that our society is responding to it in terms of mask wearing, in terms of, of uh, social distancing. But of course, as we were saying, many people in Europe are now used to having a degree of freedom it's going to be very difficult, isn't it, in order to be able to pull people back and say, actually, in order to fix this, we're going to take away those freedoms that you just had and we're going to reimpose lockdowns, we're going to reimpose mask wearing. That's a big hurdle, isn't it? Oh, indeed, a big hurdle, big challenge. People are fatigued. We all want to be out of this. Um, and, and so as I, we, we need to be creative how to reach people who are otherwise difficult to reach, you know, offer vaccines at concerts, at football games, um, if, you know, use every possible idea to increase vaccine uptake. 
And indeed, we need we need to learn how to better message the importance of vaccines. Maria, uh, it seems as though from uh, past discussions that we've had that one of the most common um, solutions to this would be to effectively produce a society which is haves and have-nots. If you have the vaccine, then you can go out and lead a normal life. If you do not have the vaccine, then you cannot do X, Y, and Z. You cannot have a normal life. Is that something that is practical, do you think? Do you think at the end of the day, governments have to, as Lawrence was saying, step up and say, right, you get your freedoms if you have the vaccine, you have fewer freedoms if you don't? Yes, I do um, support this idea and uh, it, it really works um, when we uh, look at, uh, for example, France or uh, Italy. Um, at, at a certain moment, the, their vaccinations uh, or their vaccination campaigns uh, seem to be not successful anymore. So uh, they introduced COVID passports. And immediately uh, there was a rise uh, in, in, the ups, uh, in the uptake. Uh, so uh, um, I think that it depends, of course, on, on uh, the country, it depends on the society, it depends on the population group to which you uh, address your um, campaigns. Uh, because you've got to speak different uh, language to um, different groups. We have experienced that in Poland uh, uh, so far that um, such messages should be uh, oriented uh, to uh, young people in a different way than to the elderly, for example. So, uh, so yes, uh, we are now at a, a sort of uh, plateau. There, there is no progress in vaccination at all in Poland. Uh, so people are still uh, hesitant, uh, about half of the population. So we've got to use uh, any other tool which uh, is supposed to work to um, increase the vaccination coverage. Annalise, one would think though that we've got to a point after this length of time where people who refuse to take the vaccine for whatever reason, whether it's a distrust of the government, distrust of the, the, the vaccine companies or any other uh, reasons, are really not going to shift their view unless they get very tangible evidence and it's kind of overwhelming and we're not really at that stage. Do you think that the situation that we've been discovering, this plateau that Maria was talking about, is going to continue actually for some time before we reach a point where something is going to shift? I'm afraid that you're right. We have we have plateaued. Maybe we'll be successful in bringing it up by another five percent, hopefully even ten percent. But but there will always be anti-vaxxers and the ideology and the whole conspiracy around it is now so strong. It's now such a solid ideology. It's, it will be hard to break through. So indeed, you know, measures like the US, but France, as we said, Italy have taken where you have to have vaccine passports for certain professions and uh, or to get into museums etc is is, pro is is the way to go but there, there's also a danger in this you, we are already already a divided uh, society it will even divide it further you get more anger more hatred more polarization so it's all very very tricky the the society that we are living in in the moment Lawrence, just very quickly, just in a couple of sentences, how do you think this current situation is going to develop over, say, the next six months to a year? 
I think it's really difficult to predict because we know that unless we do get vaccination rolled out across a larger proportion of the population, the virus will continue to spread and continue to change and continue to cause sickness. And I think the, the problem we're all facing now is not only COVID, but the other respiratory virus infections like flu that we see over the winter months and the enormous pressure that's going to put onto the health systems across Europe. So I think I think the winter is going to be very challenging. My view is if we can make it to spring next year, um, we'll be in a much stronger position. But but what, what toll is that going to take in the meantime? Lawrence, thank you very much indeed. Now, thanks to all our guests, Annalise Willard-Smith, Lawrence Young and Maria Gunsha. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ung, Sarah Moktad, Michael Harwood and Jimmy Getahan. Studio sound was by Senthil Marimuto. The programme was edited by Mohamed El Nacha, Leng Angwin and Joe de Fris. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We're going to be back again on Monday. Thank you.